Lord, I thank you for that grace that is greater than all our sin, grace that cleanses us, grace that takes the, 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 the dirt and the filth of our sin and makes us white as snow, a crimson tide granting us eternal salvation can only come from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, good morning again. Go ahead and uh, open up in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. We finally made it another chapter turn. And it'll be a couple more years before we do the same thing again. Um, there were a couple, a couple reasons I was excited to go through the Gospel of Matthew that I, that I really wanted to go through the Gospel of Matthew. Um, and one of them was because there are a lot of things in the Gospel of Matthew that um, sounds right that we've kind of accepted uh, and, and they're, they're not quite there. And one, one of those passages is actually what we're going to be covering today, um, where I've, I've heard a lot Matthew 7, 1. And I, I, it took me years to come to a, a kind of a discovery in these verses uh, that, that I, I hope to walk you through together, well, wa walk you through today. Um, not the exact same discovery, but a, sum, uh, a discovery that's similar. Um, and I mean, it's going to be by God's grace that we, we get to enjoy it together. So I'm looking forward to it. Um, I've heard a lot of people say to me, don't judge me. Only Jesus can judge you. There, only Jesus can judge, judge me. Um, and I've heard a lot of people quote Matthew 7, 1 toward me. Uh, I've, I, and, and what was frustrating to me is oftentimes the person that said, don't judge me, was the most judgmental person I knew. And it was just when I happened to point something out to them that they got defensive and they quote Matthew 7, 1, almost as if that's the only time they can remember it is when they themselves are being judged. Uh, and I discovered Matthew 7, 1 through 6, so the whole set of verses, in a new light one day. Um, I, I realized that Jesus wasn't just saying, uh, don't judge people as if that described every sort of opinion or interpretation that a person could off, off, uh, ever have. But instead, Jesus had a target in mind. When he said this statement, he had intention, uh, he had aim, and his aim is sure. Jesus never misses his target. So let's, let's go through Matthew 7 in a way that... Uh, that, that hopefully sheds a little bit of light. So again, it's Matthew 7, 1 through 6. Jesus says this, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, 
lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, our sermon summary, actually in the bulletin, you'll notice it's a little bit different. I gave you a fill in the blank for the points, um, but our sermon summary today is Jesus wants... Hello. <laughs> um, all right, now that we're trying to blow you up, just waking you up, folks. Uh, sermon summary today is Jesus wants Christians to be humble, not harsh, leading others to repentance as we ourselves repent. So let's walk through our verses today. Um, often, again, verse 1 is used in an overstated fashion. Uh, the, the, the statement is, don't judge, don't judge, otherwise you're going to be judged, right? There's that, that dark, drop an octave sort of a warning. Um, but, but the point is, is not that we shouldn't judge, it's that we shouldn't be judgmental. Now, I, I, I can dive into the Greek, and I can actually prove myself wrong in that statement with just verse 1. But let's look past verse 1 and see it in context. Point number one, if you want to do the fill in the blank, is our measure of judgment will also be measured against us. So Jesus, remember, remember Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors. He ate with them. He dined with them, spent time with them. Um, and he was constantly rebuking the Pharisees. When we, when we see Jesus' most harsh statements, we don't normally see it in terms of, of the random person like Zacchaeus, who Jesus calls down from a sycamore tree because a wee little man was he. But he calls Zacchaeus down to talk to him. Meanwhile, everybody else hated Zacchaeus, especially the Pharisees. Now, Jesus ate with sinners and tax collectors, gave them gospel truth, good news, and gave harsh rebuke to Pharisees. And that's really where I struggled, where judgmental people would throw this verse at me, knowing that I can't argue with God's word, right? If you're a true Christian, you're not going to sit down and you're going to be like, hey, yeah, you know, I think God got it wrong there. So if you quote just a verse out of context, the cherry picking, right? Pick only the good cherries, leave the ones you don't like, um... You can't really argue with it. And when somebody would say, hey, Matthew 7, 1, don't judge lest you be judged. The reason they would say it is because they'd be aiming it at my heart. They'd be trying to frustrate whatever aims I had of maybe trying to help them. Maybe trying to point out something that could be sin. But remember, Matthew 7, 1, can't, can't judge me. Frustrating, isn't it? it is frustrating. So... Uh, so just, just to think, just to think in terms of the whole Bible narrative, does Jesus ever tell us to judge people? Does Jesus ever say something that might con contradict Matthew 7, 1, the bad interpretation of it? Yes. Yes, he does. He doesn't contradict himself. He contradicts what people say Jesus is saying. So in the same chapter, Matthew 7, we run into verses 15 to 20 where Jesus actually tells you to beware of false prophets. Well, hold on. How can I know who's a false prophet if I'm not judging somebody? He also says throughout the Gospel of Matthew that we need to judge. In fact, he calls the Pharisees hypocrites just a chapter ago. Matthew 6, 5 and 15. And again, in 15, 7, he calls them hypocrites. 
And in 2218, Jesus calls the Pharisees hypocrites. And actually, if you really want to read a scathing chapter on the hypocriticalness of, of the Pharisees, Matthew 23 would be a wonderful read uh, where he calls them things like whitewashed tombs and, and, and fools who clean the outside of the bowl but leave the inside dirty, which is a dumb plan. If you're going to clean anything on a bowl, you clean the inside. Why? Because there's rotten milk. When my kids have cereal, the milk like turns into this weird sort of paste on the inside of the bowl, and I don't want to eat out of that. That's not something I would want to have cereal or spaghetti in or anything. I want to clean the inside. I don't care what they touched on the outside. I just care about the inside. So Jesus actually tells not only the Pharisees that are hypocrites, that they're hypocrites, but he tells people, don't mimic the hypocrites. Judge the hypocrites. At least by terms that we might think in terms of judge. And actually, one of the uh, answering the question, does Jesus tell us to judge? Yes. John 7, 24. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And now in, in, in that context, I mean, we could really flush out John 7, but just recognize that statement. Jesus is giving us the imperative command to judge. Judge with right judgment. So it doesn't appear that Jesus is trying to say, hey, don't be judgy, man. Don't, uh, don't, uh, don't judge anyone for anything. What freed me, honestly, from feeling convicted every time somebody threw that verse at me was actually verse 2. So let's read, let's read verse 1 and 2. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Now listen, when I go up to somebody and I, and I say, hey, you know what? I'm seeing this pattern. I'm seeing something that's happening in your life and, and I, I, I really want to help you with it. I'm not being judgmental. Uh, there was a there there was a guy that I went to college with, not at Moody, but uh, but the the college before that, who um, on the weekends he would go home and 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 smoke and drink, which is a violation, by the way, of the 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 student life code. I can't remember what he called it. At Moody, it was the student life guide, so that's what I got in my head. But the SLG, but but he would go home and he would smoke and drink, and so I went up to him and and I was like, hey. We all know you do it. I mean, you got packs of cigarettes literally sitting on your desk. Um, I'm not taking it to the RA. I'm not taking it up the ladder. But, but I want to question: Do you, do you think it's okay to break the rule? Do you think it's okay to 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 violate what you've signed your name on? And again, he threw Matthew seven one at me. Don't judge, lest you be judged. Well, if I'm if I'm going to be judged by the same measure then honestly, I would want somebody calling me out on that. Wouldn't I? If I, if I went home and, uh, and did, did illegal drugs, if I, did, if, if, if I was shooting up heroin on the weekends, wouldn't, wouldn't there be a reason for somebody to come to me and, and tell me that what I'm doing is destructive and a violation of, of a rule that I signed my name to? Yeah, I would. I would want somebody saying that to me. 
I would want a lot more if I was shooting up heroin. I, I mean, it's probably some handcuffs and, and some rehab, but, but fortunately that's not an issue for me. But, <laughs> but even the small things in life, when I'm getting frustrated with my kids, I, I like it when Rachel comes up and, well, most of the time. The other night I really didn't like it because I was sitting there with my arms folded, like holding my arms, trying not to scream at Silas for doing something. I don't even remember what he did. I just remember I acted sinfully. And I'm sitting there like this, like holding my arms. And then she opens the door. Are you okay? Yes. Like, <laughs> so, so uh, I, I mean, most of the time I like it when my wife comes in and goes, honey, Chill. Uh, let me deal with this. Let me help out. Most of the time, it's a blessing. I want her coming to me, judging me. Why? Because then I can do the same and rescue her from situations, too. And even if it's not me being upset at my kids, but if I get, like, really mad at my neighbor for something, and, and Rachel goes, Scott, just remember, you're loud, obnoxious, stupid, you park in the wrong space, whatever it is, right? Like, I want her to be able to convict me on it. Or if, for instance, I started uh, uh, lying and you guys caught me in a lie, I would want you to come to me and, and, and confront me and say, Scott, this is what you said, this is what happened, are you okay? I want that measure of judgment. And so I'm going to extend it to people around me because I want that measure of judgment. I want correction. We should all want correction. We want to be reproved, meaning to be continue, uh, continually proved over and over again. Why? Because we're not perfect. We still sin. Jesus is actually saying something similar in Matthew 7, 12. Again, same chapter. And we all know this, this particular statement. We called it the golden rule in elementary school. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them. So judge with the same judgment that you want measured against yourself. But don't judge in the sense that you are being overly judgmental. The point isn't simply not to judge ever. It's to recognize that we should not be harsh or overly critical in our judgment. We should seek to restore sinners to repentance. Actually, Charles Spurgeon went so far as to say that in this text, we see the clear command to help sinners repent. And I'll, I'll mention that when we get there. But we seek to restore sinners to repentance, not crush them into hopelessness. And that's what judgmentalism does. It crushes the sinner. It says, look at your unrighteousness and look at how wonderful I am. Don't you wish you could be as good as me? Hopefully nobody will ever say that about me. A sinner who needs to repent is suffering. And however we might be restored, and, and however you want to be restored in a similar situation, treat them that way. If you struggled with, uh, with alcoholism, how would you want somebody to approach you? Would it be to a, with a brick to the side of the face? Or a bottle, in that case? Or would it be for you to come alongside them gently and, and patiently? We are to judge 
but you're not to judge, thinking that you're not going to be judged in return. So point two, well, point one, again, our measure of judgment will also be measured against us. That's, that's, that's a warning. However judgmental you are, you're going to be judged in return. But it's also a hope. However much you judge, you're going to be judged in return. You're going to be reproved. So moving on through, through the verses, uh, verse, th verse 3, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye? You know, honestly, these verses show something that's almost comical, like something that should be in a cartoon, you know? Like somebody with a log sticking out of the front of their face is like, here, let me, let me get that thing. Let me get that thing off the face. You, 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 just imagine the picture of a log sticking out somebody's eye. Is that an attractive image? Just imagine every time they turn, they smack something, right? I had a, I, this mildly related, had a friend who every time she was pregnant, we called it torpedo belly. Uh, because when you looked at her from the back, she didn't look pregnant at all. There was no change. But then she'd turn around, she'd smack things. She'd knock things off the, off the table. I mean, her baby's just stuck straight out. So it was torpedo baby. Uh, but, but there was one time when we were at church, and uh, somebody, somebody, I won't say her name, but somebody, somebody was like, hey, said her name. And she turned, and she knocked all the promotional material off the table. I mean, it was, it was just perfect. She was just the right height. So that became a joke uh, throughout her two pregnancies. It was, oh, you're going to have another torpedo baby? And just, oh, shut up. So, but think of a log sticking out. Every time they turn around, they smack into something. They, it's, it's a cartoony image. They can't see because there is a log sticking out of their eye. And they're like, ah, oh, let me go ahead and get that speck that little fragment of wood in yours. So point two, we should repent of sin before we try and lead others to repentance. So let's read, let's read a couple verses. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This situation would be like a blind man trying to help somebody else find their glasses. It would be like a man paralyzed from birth becoming a track and field coach. Or, kind of a funny one, an overweight man trying to sell you on a diet program. Are you going to buy that diet program? No. No. If I sell you a diet program, don't do it. It's like I told Carl, like if I give you any advice on fixing things, don't take my advice. I know nothing. It's a bad idea. If I gave him any ideas, they were wrong. I can guarantee it. So let me ask you, why do you see the speck in the other person's eye? Is there a log in your own eye? Something, something nagging, something stuck, causing you blindness over something else? A nagging sin that refuses to be removed? If you're so blinded by that log, are you fit to be the surgeon on another sin? No. Notice the condemnation in verse 5. You hypocrite. 
actually, it, the Greek in that doesn't even have you. It just says hypocrite. And you think about that in context, and that, that actually sounds, sounds worse. Um, so verse 4, or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your own eye when there's a log in your own eye? Hypocrite. That is a perfect definition of a hypocrite. Somebody that struggles with something similar, but is going to help you when you're barely struggling in it. Meanwhile, they're suffering. The Christian should be fighting against the condemnation of hypocrite. And not fighting others who are condemning them, but fighting our own selves where we might be being hypocritical. That's Jesus' message here. Do not be like the hypocrites. Sounds like chapter 6, doesn't it? So we should be, we should be judging. Is she okay? Is she all right? I'm sorry. That's okay. <laughs> as long as she's okay. Uh, baby, baby fell uh, from the squishy jacket. <laughs> um, but we should be removing the logs from our own eyes, and we should be removing the specks from others. Um, practically, we should be taking to heart the gracious reminders that God gives us to our imperfections. Does God ever give you reminders of how you're not perfect? Do you like it? Not usually. Whenever we start to feel that bit of condemnation, whenever we start to feel that bit of conviction, we, we don't take it as a, as, as a grace of God immediately. But it is. It is a grace of God. If you're witnessing to a neighbor or family member sharing the gospel with them, and then they remind, her that, or remind you that you're short-tempered, or too passive, or prideful, or greedy, or anything. They bring up that thing, that one thing. Most of you guys have probably had the same neighbor for like decades, right? And maybe you, uh, you, you stomped on their roses once, or you drove your lawnmower just a little bit too close to their side, and you cut down some of their prized blackberry bushes. Now, the, nobody has those. But, <laughs> but, but let's say they bring that up to you. Is your immediate response to go, you know what? I made an accident. Get over it. If, you're, if that's your response, then you actually might be harboring something about them. Like the fact that they won't get over it. <laughs> no, when, when, when we get a gracious reminder of something we've done wrong, we should be the first to go, you know what? I, 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 I may not have meant anything by it, but boy, I wronged you. We should want our logs removed. We should want our sins reconciled. And consequently, we should be leery of a person who never confesses their sins. Have you met somebody in the church like that at some point? Never says they've done anything wrong. Everything they do is perfect. Be leery of them. Because that person might actually be the hypocritical surgeon. The one you do not want operating on you. The person who has a log in their eye and trying to take the speck out of their brother's eye is actually a man under great condemnation, suffering under great sin, so much so that they are blind to it. 
Meanwhile, they're not blind to somebody else's sin, trying to fix it. These are hypocrites. They don't realize their blindness. They don't see a need for repentance. They might even be forcing themselves to be numb over their own guilt. Have you ever met someone who does that? This is a man in a miserable condition, a man, by, uh, a man who needs much prayer and patience, and perhaps a woman, but I use the word man, uh, but also a man who needs to be reproved by another who's repented of similar sins. Golly, if you've repented of a sin and you see it being perpetrated in somebody else, you should be the first one to come alongside them and say, listen, I know the dangers of this. I, I know where this is a problem. I know where you need to be careful. So come alongside each other in repented sins. Help each other and aid each other with, with, with as much charitableness and graciousness as you can muster by God's, by God's power. And in that way, honestly, you will avoid being, from being ju judgmental. And maybe that'll be God's grace to see another log in your eye that you need removed. To quote the commentator Matthew Henry, our own sins ought to appear greater to us than the same sin in others. I want to repeat that because I want, that, I, I want you to remember that. Our own sins ought to appear to us greater than the same sin in others. We should view our own sins as catastrophic as they truly are. Our own sins, your own sins, my own sins killed the one and only Son of God. Is that not a catastrophe? We should be therefore murdering our sin constantly, which by the way is the actual word. Uh, in Colossians when Paul says, uh, put to death therefore your sins, he says the same thing in Romans 8, he, he says murder it. It's not just cast it and cast uh, your sin into some judgmental court that's going to take care of it. It's actually murder it. The act of killing your own sin. Uh, that's a book, by the way, by a Puritan named John Owen. The Mortification of Sin is the short title, but the long version is like The Mortification of Sin in the Life of a Believer, and then it has a subtitle because it's, it's a Puritan book, so the title is always 20 words. Um, but, but John Owen wrote a book and, uh, on, on mortifying sin, just a single verse, and he puts it like this, be killing sin or it will be killing you. If we're killing our own sin constantly, this is exactly how we're going to be humbled to the point of not being judgmental, to not being the one that throws Matthew 7-1 at everybody. Now, point three is this. A person with a hardened heart will attack the one trying to help them. Now, that's where you, you, might, you might think, wait a second, where is that coming from? Well, that's verse 6. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. There are people who will take your kindness, your help, when, they're, when confronting their sin, and they're going to spit in your face. They're going to slap you when you try and lend them aid. These people need our judgment. Not, not for condemning sake, but for us giving them something valuable, our help. 
But we have to be wise, because sometimes when we try and offer people help, they, they, they destroy the help and they destroy us in the process. And this is something I can resonate with. I remember the first time I read this verse, and I was like, oh, what does that mean? And I was in a Bible study with some of my friends, and the guy said, well, the guy leading it was like, well, nobody really knows what verse 6 is talking about. But in the context, it makes perfect sense, doesn't it? Don't be judgmental. Recognize that you're going you're gonna to have the same, same uh, measure of judgment used against you. But also, you know, if you've got a log in your eye, don't try to take the speck out of somebody else. Deal with the log first. But then also realize that when you're going to help someone, if they're not going to accept the help, don't, don't waste your time. Some people are, are blinded by the log in their own eyes. And even if you've got a speck and you're trying to help them with their log, they're, they're going to get mad at you. Jesus calls these people dogs and pigs. Those are really endearing terms, huh? Make you feel so great. What if I walked up to you today and said, uh, said you are a pig? <laughs> you wouldn't feel very, very affirmed. Um, dogs, by the way, in the first century were not pets. They were predatorial scavengers. Uh, pigs were unclean by Jewish law and unclean by any standard of cleanliness, honestly. Uh, they tend to wallow around in, in their pig pens, which are filled with excrement. I mean, it's not like they go in the, the toilet. Uh, so, and then they roll in it. It's gross. I mean, pigs are gross. They taste delicious. I love bacon, but gosh, I don't want to be a pig farmer. I don't think I'd ever eat pork again. But these two descriptions that Jesus gives, calling these people dogs and pigs, uh, it, it's, it's, it's for the hypocritical people who are unrepentant, self-assured, self-righteous, and ultimately judgmental. These are people who uh, today rightly would be called pharisaical. They're too good to help in menial tasks. They can't be bothered by other people's real problems. They take no criticism, but they sure try to fix everybody else. Those people are dogs and pigs, and they're not worth our time. I mean, you think, you think about it like this. Let's say a wild dog comes to your backyard, and you're like, oh, puppy, I want to feed you. You look hungry. You look starving. And, and you put some food on a plate, and the only plate you have left is a, is a fine piece of china, and you, you put it before him, and the dog bites your hand, and you drop the plate, and it shatters. The dog still eats the food, but it doesn't, doesn't, it's not kind to you. Or let's say you have a pig. Let's say you have a really pretty pig. Like an actual pretty pig. I don't know how that would work. Maybe it's not hairy. I don't know. But you got a really pretty pig, and you're like, you know what would look really good on you? A pearl. And you try, to th you try to throw the pearl to it, saying, here, piggy, piggy, piggy. And what does it do? It stomps on it as if you threw a rock at it, and then it charges you. That's what it's like trying to help a person with a log who's unrepentant, self-assured, and pharisaical. What you'll find in these people is that they don't ever want to feel guilt. They don't want to repent. Instead, they want you to feel their shame. They want you to feel their pain. And they turn it right around at you. They try and destroy you. They'll do whatever they can to manipulate, manipulate it so that you're the enemy. And they're, they're the hero riding on a white horse. So what do we do with these people? Jesus says, don't give them what, what's holy and valuable. Don't give them your help. They should be left out in the cold, hopefully turning in repentance. Don't give to dogs and pigs what is holy.
What do you do for a person who has a log in their eye and a rock for a heart? You pray for them. You plead with God for them. Perhaps they'll, they'll, they'll beautifully see their hypocritical nature. They'll want that log from their own eye. They'll taste God's saving grace, and not just the, the saving grace that might have saved them, but the saving grace that has us constantly repenting. That gospel, that good news, that I don't have to be stuck in my sin every day for the rest of my life. Instead, I can repent. I'm free. The shackles are let loose. Maybe they'll see that. Jesus died for lost causes like these dogs and pigs. He brings the dead to life through his death on the cross, taking the scorn of God's wrath, the cup of God's wrath, as we discussed in Sunday school, and judgment in our stead. We should be the last people to be judgmental. But we often are. Christians are recognized as being pharisaical. That's a problem. There's a reason that people throw Matthew 7-1 at us constantly. Sometimes it's a good reason. We all need to repent, don't we? We all need to repent of being judgmental in some capacity. We all have logs that we, we need to want removed. We need to battle our sin lest our hearts become as stone. Christ's precious grace has been poured out for us in his blood. So repent. Repent of whatever judgmentalism you have. Wherever it rears its head, wherever God graciously this week, by the power of his spirit, makes you realize, ah, oh, man, I'm kind of being a guy with a log in my eye here. Want it gone. When you feel that tinge of painful conviction, know that it's God working in you to bring you to repentance. That's the difference between God's condemnation and God's discipline, his chastisement. A person is either chastised or condemned. The condemned person will never repent. The chastised person, the, the person who gets God's discipline, will realize, you know what? God is doing this for my good and his glory, and I need to take this. I, I need to feel the pain here. Once you repent, lovingly guide others who you see the same sin in their lives. That's your duty. As Spurgeon pointed out, it is a Christian's duty to help each other repent of sins. But just make sure you don't have a log in your eye when you're trying to do it. It's really how God ordered his church, right? That we might continue guiding each other in repentance, pushing each other to sanctification, studying God's word together, being transformed together. We're supposed to be a community of people centered on God's word, centered on, on the gospel truth that I don't have to be perfect, and yet God still moves me towards being, being made holy. What a wonderful thing. And do remember that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5.5. 5. Therefore, as, our, as I said in our sermon summary, Jesus wants Christians to be humble, not harsh, leading others to repentance as we ourselves repent. Unpacking that, Jesus wants us Christians to judge humbly, meekly, gently, not harshly, not pridefully. 
so that we can lead others to repentance as we ourselves are repenting. That's good news, folks. That's gospel. That's what we need each other for. Let's pray and sing our last song. Father, you are gracious to constantly convict us. You are ultimately the judge, and we should not be condemning and, and, and judgmental towards others, but instead we should be, we should be looking out for, for false prophets. We should be looking out for, for people that come and teach us wrong doctrine. But we should do so gently. We should do so kindly. We should do so recognizing that our level of judgment is precisely what we're going to receive. That's good news for the saint and bad news for the, for the sinner. But ultimately, Lord, it's in your hands. Thank you for dying for lost causes like me. Thank you for saving lost causes like me. You are so wonderful, God. May we show that to all those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, we are not called to judge and be judgmental. We are called to judge with right judgment, to not look on appearances, but to judge with right judgment. We are, uh, we are called to be humble, not harsh. Um, we are called to look for the logs in our own eye, to have others point out the logs in our own eye, and we're supposed to love each other in the midst of it. Go in the grace and peace of Jesus Christ. Go in peace, saints.